Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And I'm looking at a fine figure of a man at the moment with a, a cap on. Uh, a picture of all sorts of cycling attire. There's latex, there's no, maybe not latex. There's all sorts of weird cycling apparatus going on. He's a man that looks incredibly fit and healthy. His name's David Richmond. Good evening, David. How are you? Good, Russell. Thank you for giving me some time. I'm enjoy. I'm going to enjoy talking to you. Let's do that. And I know you're in one of my favorite places in the world. So tell us where you are tonight. I am in Las Vegas. Uh, my wife and I moved to Las Vegas from San Diego during the pandemic when it first started. We owned a home here wow. and um, I do a lot of endurance athletics. I like training in the heat and uh, there isn't a better place to have heat than Las Vegas. So when you say endurance athletics, what, what, is that, what does that mean? So for me, uh, that means I do uh, Ironmans kind of on a regular basis to oh, wow. Ironman triathlons to stay uh, kind of focused and in shape. Yeah. And then every year a couple of years i do something a little more ridiculous so more ridiculous than that yeah <laughs> my god like what a couple years ago i biked uh, 4700 miles so for the british audience that would be something like uh, 8000 k yeah we don't do k over here we're miles don't you fret thank we get goodness. miles yeah no. miles. It's, it's only those europeans that do kilometers don't we okay thank you're goodness. With, you're, you're amongst friends here tonight <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> bike, of miles uh, yeah 4700 miles in 41 days so basically it's back to back tour de france's with more with more climbing more heat and less resting so, so there's there's a there's a burning question in my head, and and the answer and that question is why. Uh, well, this one was because I wanted to connect people. So um, I had uh, recently interviewed for a couple of years um, uh, a bunch of different people regarding the emotional journeys that they had with cancer, right. either as a patient, a doctor, a loved one, whatever. And most of them I found by cold calling hospitals and cancer centers and saying, Hey, do you know anybody with an interesting story? So I had only talked to them on the phone for, for a couple of years, getting really, really deep into their story so that I could write a book about it so that I could then kind of help people talk about the difficult you know, side of, of cancer, which, which is the emotional side that nobody talks about. So I said, if I'm going to connect all these people with stories, what better way to connect them than to jump on my bike and 
draw a line and go go meet them all. So um, a, a cycle of lives, cycling across the thing, all these lives together. It's just kind of a little play on words. And I thought, um, why not? What better way to connect them than to get on my bike and go visit them all? So you met 15 people who had experiences with, with cancer and 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 you and you built the cycling into it. So that's a brilliant, yeah. a brilliant knowledge. And it's, yeah. it's just a remarkable achievement. Um, yeah. And it's and it's fair to say that you know your 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 career didn't didn't start as being an elite athlete. athlete. You were you were sort oh, of no. you were in the um, the the, um, the depths of the coal mines, weren't you? With financial advice and such like. Don't you tell us a bit oh, about that? Goodness. So I lived in the world of uh, both external and self inflicted stress. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was in the financial services business. I ran a very, very large business for, for a big Wall Street firm, which was incredibly stressful because, um, uh, as you can imagine, I know it's hard for people to believe, but sometimes financial institutions um, are a little stressful to work at because um, if you're trying to do the right thing, that's not always in alignment with the corporate values. So yeah. um, very, very stressful. It's, it's a combination of managing up and managing down, which can be very, very stressful. Um, and during the financial crisis, it was tough. And at that time, um, I was overweight. I was a smoker. I hadn't done anything athletic in my life. I had four-year-old twins at home wow. and I was in a relationship with an abusive alcoholic. Right. So I had all of this kind of stress, some of it self-imposed, some of it external, and I just needed to make a change. And then kind of to put the cherry on the top, right at that particular combination of events, um, I get a call from my sister saying, hey, I'm um, sorry to tell you this, but I just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Right. So uh, my only sister. So I just kind of took that as a time, Russell, to, um, take a deep breath and go, maybe I ought to change my life around a little bit. So let's, so let's unpack that a bit, because that's mm -hmm. one of the most frequent phrases I hear on this podcast. Mm -hmm. This idea that you're, you're sort of running along at 150 miles an hour. You can't, mm -hmm. so you, you've got, yeah, you've got your head, you know, your nose buried against the, the tread, treadstone. You can't look up, you can't see. Right. Then something cataclysmic happens. And yep. then there's this bit where you suddenly look up and you have this almost this horrendous realization. So, so mm -hmm. tell me, unpack that a bit more for me, would you? Yeah, I, I will. And it took me a while to look back and to, turn, and to do that, to unpack it and understand it. But I, I know absolutely what it was. And it was this light switch that went off in my head, Russell, where I said, you know, my whole life, I was always trying to run around and be an overachiever for other people. Right. So I, I was trying to be a, a good kid because it would make my parents happy and less angry. I would try to be a good student because it would make me um, uh, like my, my teachers like me work harder and make my boss happier. Uh, it would impress my employees. It would find me a better girl. It would whatever. Everything that I did, I did because I was looking for some type of external gratification like yeah. right and so i feel like um until i understood that very simple concept which a lot of people do understand um and i didn't understand it is that you kind of got to do things for yourself even if yeah. it's being unselfish at work or uh, working at a at a food bank or whatever I'm, I'm not saying be selfish but do it for yourself and 
And when all of that happened to me, Russell, I literally, I literally got my kids out of the house, set up shop. And I stood in front of a mirror one night and I just said, like, who do you want to be? Like, who do you want to be? Like, what do you, like, what makes you happy? What do you want to do? Instead of wondering, what was I going to do that day to make my boss happy? Or what was I going to do that day to make somebody else less angry or whatever? And when, when you kind of take control and it was kind of freeing, I just decided Russell to stop worrying about what other people were thinking about me and start worrying about what I thought about me. And okay, I had so, never done that. No, never. no. So, so let me just unpack that a bit more. Cause I think these yeah. are really brilliant questions. So a lot of people don't think they have the right to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Who do you want to be? And for me, mm-hmm. selfishness is a very good thing, but the, because the word itself just means concern for yourself, but it's mm-hmm. been, usurped has been hijacked to have a sort of a moral dimension hasn't it so for me yeah. the idea that you look after yourself first i mean rupaul says if you can't love yourself who knows how on earth can you love another person i mean right. you know and it's true isn't it you have to start yeah. with yourself and i think you need you, you need to develop a little bit of wisdom in life to realize that selfishness is, is a good thing isn't it i mean i like mm-hmm. the way you put it it's about concern for yourself it's knowing yourself having the the right to say I'm, I'm entitled to answer, ask that question and answer it. Would you, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Are you, yeah. And, and it does take some wisdom. Now, some people have that early on. Mm. You look at uh, somebody like, a, a, um, you know, a, a Richard Branson or, a, or Oprah Winfrey or whomever. They don't care what other people think. They never did. Oh, right? they either, I wonder. They either I wonder. Taught, right. They either were taught to not care what other people think. Mm. And they do a lot of unselfish things, right? Mm. So they're not selfish, but they just do things for them, even if that's doing things for other people, but it's because of what they want to do. And so that, that kind of wisdom. And, and I think a lot of times what happens is you get to a point in your life where you might realize that, but you um, are bogged down in guilt or you don't want to forgive yourself for past mistakes or you think it's too late for you or whatever. And I, I've always been a very optimistic person. And so if I combined the thought of my best days are ahead of me with forgiving myself for all the mistakes I made and going, okay, now just start living your life on purpose for you. That, that, that's okay. Right. Like, like I don't have to cook dinner because it'll make me look like a better parent. I get to cook dinner because that's really what I want to do for my kids. Yeah. You know, it's just a, t- it's just a little switch, a little difference. And for, for me, maybe like a lot of people, it just took that one combination of things and the, finally the light switch went on, do you know? Yeah. So that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you can see a situation where you would put yourself at the center of the universe and you say, well, actually, do you know what? I'm not interested in my children. I'm not interested in cooking them dinner anymore because what I want to do is for me mm-hmm. without reference to other people. So there is a subtlety in the way that you're describing this, isn't there? Yeah, there is a subtlety. I mean, I'm, I, I didn't change much of the things I did and I did physically. I stopped smoking. I started losing weight. I started becoming physically active. So I did change some things, but I didn't, work any harder i just decided to go into work not caring about what other people thought about my work but caring what i thought about my work so how do you do that how do you do that richard because that's the secret to life the universe and everything isn't it how do you stop caring about what other people think 
You know what's really amazing? It's such a freeing, and thank you for asking that question, but it's such a unbelievable freeing thought. It's just a burden gets off your back if you will just accept the fact that nobody is watching and nobody cares. Nobody's watching. And, and that's a good thing, right? Because, because really, honestly, everybody's got their own life to live. Everybody has their own problems to deal with. Everybody is, is mired in their own muck right? And we just believe that, oh my gosh, you know, I got to not do this because I'm going to look like an idiot, or I got to not do that because I'm going to be judged this way or that way. And uh, doing athletics started making me believe that when, when I would say, I'm going to go do an Ironman, people didn't care when I finished how I felt, what kind of training I did, whether or not I actually ended up doing the event or not. They were just like, all right, good for you. And I'm like, huh, nobody cares. All right, that's cool. I'll just do it for me. It's kind that, of a freeing thought. Well, I think that's one of the most liberating things you can do. First of all, is to stop being rooted in everybody else. And the mm -hmm. second thing is just to accept yourself as you are. And yeah. once you, once you, and that's partly it's wisdom, but I think once you learn that, because I think it's a very hard lesson to learn because we're not, very few of us are parented that way, are, are we? Very, I mean, no. that's not the way we're parented. It's, you know, we're protected, we're brought up to be mm -hmm. covered in risk, to look after people, to be polite, to know your place, all those Absolutely. sorts of things, aren't they? I mean, I know it's yep. American, slightly different to culture to oh. us, but, you know, yeah. you know, you've all got to go out and be Disney princesses or, you know, um, Michael Phelps or something. But, <laughs> yeah, right. but, and therefore, you know, everybody has this weird image that when, whatever they do, it seems to be a failure against everybody else. But once you get rid of those benchmarks, you can just be yourself and enjoy it. Which is a really hard thing to do, right? I, I grew up almost like all my memories from growing up um, were that w I wanted to do things to not get my mom angry. Yeah. Right. That is not doing things for yourself. That's no. not that's not learning self-sufficiency. That's not learning forgiveness. That's not that is fitting into a box that is is aligned with how is the other person going to perceive me? or react to what I'm doing. And that's, we all have those burdens. But maybe, I, but maybe we have to do that. Maybe it's like an apprenticeship. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we have to go through those experiences to be able to have the wisdom to understand what we're jettisoning and therefore the, the, what the size of the prize is when we discover this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, yeah, yeah. You, you can't go out and, and run a marathon on no training. So yeah, you're right. Maybe that is the apprenticeship is to, and everybody has difficulty. I mean, my difficulty is minimal compared to other people's or it's um, unbelievable compared to other people. Right. Yes. And, and, and that's the whole point is don't compare it to anybody else. Your life is your life. People are living. And that's one of the things I found when I was talking to people that were going through the trauma of cancer was that everybody's dealing with things. Everybody has these unbelievable, uh, 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 evocative, traumatic experiences in their life that help form whom they, who they are. And it, and it affects how they deal with things on an emotional level when they're going through good times, bad times, and, and everything in between. And that's the one thing we all have in common. And so if everybody's got problems, why do I need to compare myself to anybody else? I just mm. got to compare my, in fact, I have a, some friends in Australia and I sent them a, a picture and a video from some, some a party we were having the other day. And, and she responded, she, she's a nurse. She says, Oh my God, I love seeing you live your best life. And I'm like, that is such a cool thing. Cause shouldn't we all, whatever we're doing, 
trying to be living our best lives, which is really hard to do. Yes. And 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 our best life may may be working as a middle manager in a finance company, um, yeah. processing checks, but you do it because it's what you want to do. Absolutely. And you know, and I think this is the bit that people forget. You don't have to be an iron man to be living your best life. You, you can mm-hmm. be you can be happy doing whatever it is the what you're doing doesn't matter what matters is the state of happiness that you actually choose to surround yourself with almost yeah and you know i i received we all do receive nuggets throughout our lives and maybe they make sense at the time you've got them or you look back and you go wow that was that was really profound and i i remember very early on when i became a manager in the financial services area somebody had said to me your job as a manager is not to make everybody like you. That's not, that's not ever going to happen. Your job is to help them be the best they can be. Yeah. And it's like, oh, shoot. You know what? That's a very different mindset. And so when it became in my, in my consciousness, Russell, to, to, to think that way, then it just was a really empowering feeling to say, I'm going to just try to be the best me. Let's forget about anybody else. Like I, I shouldn't compare myself to anybody else because it doesn't really, that's not the way life works. Yeah. I just got to be the best me I can be. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's brilliant, isn't it? Because, because it's, it's very, I, I often meet people who come in here, especially Ironmans and triathlons mm-hmm. and such like. And I think to myself, well, I can be the best version of me without having to do those. I can admire your achievement. I can really, I can empathize with it. And I can think to myself, that I would never want to do that. But I can mm-hmm. admire the fact that you've done it for yourself. And I really applaud you for doing it. But in a way, why you've done it has been to illustrate the the cause around cancer and mm-hmm. you know the thing that's led from your um, sister. So why don't you unpack that 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 sure. idea from your sister and turning it into a book and such like tell me how that process worked. Yeah, I'll try to give you a, a short answer. So my my sister and I were able to talk through a lot of the issues around her her end of life journey. She had young kids, she had a husband, great friends, good job, but and we were able to talk about it. And to keep her memory alive after she passed, I did an event every year, an endurance event you know, off the map, ridiculous to, to try to raise money and awareness for the cancer center that took care of her. And that put me in touch with a lot of people. And they all had this common theme that they just, they were, they could deal with when's my next pet scan? How do I navigate the insurance system? How do I I get my kids taken care of while I'm getting chemo, Mm. but they didn't know how to navigate the emotional side. Yeah. And so I, I went on a quest to find a wide range of people, caregivers, survivors, loved ones, patients, people that had cancer when they were young, old, never had cancer, but were just afraid of it. Um, every type of cancer, every emotion that w- emotional response to cancer. And then I said, do they have interesting stories that I might be able to relate to mm. around trauma, such as suicide, uh, abandonment, um, uh, making bad choices, drug addiction, um, violence, uh, you name it, so that I would wonder if I could identify with the traumas that they had, and then I had this big crazy thing like cancer in my life. Um, how did the trauma affect the cancer? So that when I a- encounter people 
that are going through something difficult, or perhaps I might be going through, or one of my loved ones might be going through something difficult. How can I better relate to them? How can I better understand what they might be going through on an emotional level? Because what a lot of times what we do, Russell, somebody uh, you, you talk to, you haven't talked to a while, and they say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Oh, what's the matter? Uh, oh, you know, I found out one of my coworkers' sons got cancer and, and is going to die. And you go, oh, I'm sorry. And then you change the subject because you don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You don't want to say something stupid. You don't want to sound like an idiot. You don't want to brag the fa fact that you just got a promotion that day. Cause really I'm going to brag to somebody who just found, right. It just, you don't know how to talk to people. And so what I thought was every single person that I came into, I said, I was going to be a short answer. Look at me. Um, every single person I ran into had that same common theme. They were had difficulty processing the emotional side, or if they had processed it, they had difficulty interacting with people about the emotional side of, of, of the traumas. And so by, by getting deep into these stories, by telling them, I thought maybe I could help people start these hard conversations with coworkers, loved ones, family, even themselves, maybe. Oh, I think that's absolutely fantastic. I think in our culture, we, we have this problem about talking with death about death. Uh, we have this problem with talking about grief and we do have this talk, pro problem, not talking about so much trauma, but about potentially life-threatening illnesses. We, we, it's almost as if that, if we talk to someone, we might catch it ourselves in a strange sort yeah. of way, you know? And, um, and, we, and we forget that that's just a person going through a really horrible time, which, and actually if we don't empathize and learn from them, if it affects us and what is it, one and one and two people get cancer, you know, it's 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 in our own it's in our own interest to help people in this this sphere because we might be helping ourselves in the future. Yeah, and you know, I mean, look at at the at the end of of the road for everybody. When you look back, if you're able to, um, the the only thing that matters is the connections that you made with people, right? That's the only that's only thing that matters is that emotional connection you made with people in your life, right? That's that's the center of every joy and every regret that anybody has if they have the fortune to be able to look back on their life. It's what emotional connection did I have or what didn't I have? Do mm. you know, I, I, and I know that's true because when I got on my bike and I biked 4,700 miles around the country, I met people every single day and I met them doing the craziest things. I met this one guy who was driving across the country to put a coin on his brother's gravestone because he had been, uh, um, um, they had fought and had been uh, apart for 30 years. And yeah. he finally came to the realization many years after his brother had died, that he needed to make amends before he died. Yeah. So he thought by driving a coin across, sorry, the la I mean, at the, end of the, at the end of the road for us, if we have the chance to look back, it's the regrets or the joys that we had in forming deep connections with people. And so, um, that was my goal is how, how can I help people? How can I help myself? How can I help other people form deeper, more meaningful connections? Um, because oftentimes we isolate or self-isolate when it comes to like what you said, when it comes to talking about death or, uh, you know, deadly diseases or something, we, we isolate or we self-isolate, you know? And, and so you've written this book, you've, mm -hmm. you've, you've created a nonprofit. Uh, yep. And, and the profits from this book are going where, how, how is it working? So um, each one of the 15 participants, or in, in one case, their, their surviving loved ones, um, uh, came up with a, um, um, 
a charity that was mostly, most of them were cancer focused, but all charities uh, that they had an affinity to. And so they asked, I asked them, I told them I was putting 100% of the proceeds to, uh, to charity. And so I let them pick the organization. So they're like the American Cancer Society or a children's hospital in LA, a cancer center in Florida, um, a young adult um, a, a, a young adult cancer um, organization in New York, just all these different organizations. So any dollar that comes to, to me as the author um, uh, immediately gets distributed amongst these different charities. So we'll raise a little bit of money, but more, more so I'm hoping that it'll help people start, start the conversations. Yeah. Brilliant. And so, uh, I mean, it's absolutely mind blowing. I mean, what you've done, and what you've created is, you know, just awesome. Uh, I just love what you've created. So how can people get hold of this book, David? How can people find out more about what you've done? Oh, well, it's, it's a thank you for that. Um, they can find information just by uh, going to, to the web and searching for David Richmond's Cycle of Lives. Um, it's, you know, Amazon delivers in the UK, right? There's, yeah, we uh, said this most books are bought on Amazon, wherever books are sold. It's not in all the retail bookstores because of distribution costs and those type of stuff, but they can buy it online or it's the bigger retail uh, bookstores, um, electronic version, paperback version, whatever. And, and again, you know, hundred percent of, of any proceed will go to cancer, but more importantly, I think if they read the stories and they're all uh, short stories, right? It's, it's not one big, long 400 page heavy, nonsense it's each one story and every story has a hopeful inspirational um a spin to it or a facet of it which is really nice um but people can hopefully pick it up read a story and go oh my gosh uh that'll em empower me to to know what to do next time i come into xyz situation so yeah. um that's that's the hope brilliant well look i can only applaud you on your journey and on the next journey because no doubt this you're a man i think who's on a mission and i can sense other books coming and other projects and other iron men and other journeys to be coming i think it's absolutely remarkable so thank, thank you for spending you. time with us today it's been absolutely yeah. fantastic thank you and if i'm lucky uh, spending more time talking to people like you yeah, great. Well, Cycle of Lives is a book you need to get your paws on. So get to that website and um, have a look. I'll she'll be downloading a Kindle version later on. And, um, you know, anything we can do to help those causes, I think is great. But also to, you know, to applaud you on your next journey, I think, Davis, you're a remarkable character. And I think, you know, thank you for the work you're doing. Remarkable. Thank you. And thank you for the time. And thank you for what you're doing. You're bringing a lot of great subjects to people. And um, I know your audience loves it. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.